Christ our Lord. Amen. So through this season of Advent, this is what I mentioned earlier. It's where we, as the people of God, uh, we join Christians throughout history and throughout the world in preparing for the coming of the Lord. And in the month of December, we will be reflecting on the Gospel of Matthew and how we witness God's witness. That's exactly what Christmas is about. It's about God with us. God shows up, to put it in very simple and modern terms. terms. God comes down to the messiness of the human experience. He comes down to the messiness of everyday human life. In Matthew, we see the story of how God entered into the world through Jesus Christ, the one true God, the one in whose image we are created, the one who made us for himself. That same God showed up. And in Christmas, we celebrate God's witness, that he is with us. And that, act, that word actually has uh, that explanation of God coming down to us actually has a much bigger word as well. It's what we see throughout Scripture as well. This is what's called the incarnation. In Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation, which sounds really big. It's much safer to just talk about gifts and about nice songs and nice decorations and lights. But really what we're celebrating during Christmas is the incarnation. That God came to us. The incarnation is a big word, but all it means is that God became human in Jesus Christ. Christmas is an invitation to witness God's witness to witness to God being with us to witness to the reality that even in the hard times God shows up that God takes initiative to save us and to restore our relationship with him and our connection with him Matthew begins this amazing story in such a strange way with naming the genealogy of Jesus after that, then he, he goes on to talk about the birth of Jesus, which we'll be talking about next week. But he begins very intentionally with talking about Jesus' family history. Generations and generations that came before him. The mighty work of God we see here in this passage. We see that God was at work throughout history. Through all that were named in this genealogy, what the scripture is telling us is that there will be someone greater. There will be someone that will surpass all of those names. There will be a greater miracle. There will be greater hope through the birth of Jesus Christ. Christmas is a reminder that God is doing something greater. And he's doing something greater through someone greater. The name above all names, even the name above any of the names that we just read here. So Christmas is the celebration of an event. The event of the incarnation. The event that God became human. Because he loved us so much that he'd rather come down and become like us so that we could be with him. 
And just to be clear with everyone, this is what we celebrate during Christmas. The Christian faith today is that affirmation that God took action, an action that changed everything. God broke into human history, and all these names are proof of that. He began a work to restore all of humanity and all of creation back to himself. He wanted to restore us from the strongholds in this life and from the bondage in this life. He wants to restore us from the strongholds of guilt. He wants to restore us and free us from the bondage of death. So what the gospel here affirms is that this event of incarnation, this divine invasion of God, this what the Bible even calls this Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. That this event of Christmas which we celebrate is not a general idea. But it's very specific. It's very particular. This genealogy actually points to a very specific person. A very specific person with a name. And that name is Jesus. Jesus Christ. He, as we say sometimes passingly or simply put, but indeed He is the reason for this season. The name of Jesus is the very specific reason we read this entire genealogy of name after name, generation after generation. Because we see that this, it all points to this one person, to this one event of the birth of Jesus. We see that the, that the name of Jesus is actually very particular and very specific. And we'll learn about that in just a moment. But in fact, this event of incarnation, of God showing up, of God coming down to us in the form of a person, in the form of a baby, but then growing up to be the savior of this world, that this event is actually the center point of all of history. In fact, some of you know this, probably most of you know this, that today is the year 2019. Only because it is approximately 2,019 years later after this event, after the birth of Jesus. All of human history centers around this event. From either when before Jesus was born or after Jesus was born. This is the event at the center point of all of history. And this gospel, this good news that we read today is called the incarnation or it's the celebration of Emmanuel, of God with us. And when we really think about it, we can maybe mention that or or say that here and there. But the reality of it is this, that the gospel This event that we celebrate during Christmas that God became human in order to save us. That this event, this gospel, this good news is either complete madness or it can find its simple explanation in the fact that this God loves us. That this God loves us unconditionally. That he entered into our story when he didn't have to. That is the grace of God. He chose to do that. 
And this love is unconditional. So to believe in this Christmas message, to believe in this good news of Christmas, is to believe that we can now know God and we can now be known by God because God has come to us. Because God is with us. So during Christmas, we witness God's withness. And that's going to be the theme of this entire month of December. Through Jesus Christ, we witness God's withness in Christ. Because Christmas marks this beautiful collision. This beautiful collision of heaven and earth coming together. Of time and eternity coming together through this event, through the birth of Jesus Christ, of God with us. And in this season, as we place our hope and our trust in Him, God shows up in us. And we are empowered to show up for others. God gifted us with His presence. God gifted us with His withness. And guess what? We can point to the glory of God through our withness as well. Withness is the gift of presence. So even this coming Christmas season, that's a gift you can give to those around you, to your family members, to your spouse, to God. To this community, you can give the gift of presence, of showing up. The gift of God's withness. You know, a common question that has come up for me in the season that we've been uh, working and planting Imago Church, so grateful for where God has us now. But in a common question that often comes up when I've talked to people, especially in the earlier days, was the question, well, Pastor Carlos, that sounds really neat, really interesting what you guys are doing at Imago Church. What can I do? How can I help? And oftentimes my response to that question was frustrating to people because the question, the, the answer was simply, when the question was, what can I do? My response was, well, why don't you start with showing up? Just show up. Just show up and be with this community. Do life with this community. Friends, that's part of what it means to receive and give the gift of withness. That's God's gift during Christmas. His withness. That He is with us no matter what. In the ups and the downs, in the highs and the lows of this life, we celebrate God's withness. And one way to be a tremendous blessing to each other, to your family, to your spouse, to this church, is by giving the gift of withness. And one tip that I've, I've uh, learned on what it means to give and receive the gift of withness is being uh, what I call matter of fact people. Fact being an acronym, F-A-C-T. We can give the gift of witness when we are matter of fact people, F-A-C-T. When we are F, when we are faithful. When we are A, approachable. When we are C, consistent. And when we are A, and sorry, and when we are T, teachable. So we can give the gift of witness when we are F, faithful. 
When we're consistent to each other, to this community, by giving of our time, our treasure, our talents, we can be a blessing when we are A, when we're approachable, when we seek to know others and to be known by others as well. We can bless others through being C, consistent, and by being T, teachable. So F-A-C-T, being matter-of-fact people. Faithful, approachable, consistent, and teachable. That's part of what it means to give the gift of withness to others. So we receive the gift of God's withness when by faith we simply believe and accept the reality that God has shown up. And when we realize that, when we take that to heart, when we trust in that truth, that changes everything. And we get to give the gift of witness when we show up for others. And we show up when we serve and do life together and invite others into this new life with God. You know, it's amazing to think that this Christmas story, which we get to tell every single year together, is Such an amazing and beautiful story, but at the same time, it is such a simple story. The greatest story ever told of the birth of our Savior began in such a simple way. It began with an announcement to Mary, to Joseph, in a place called Nazareth. Nazareth was a small agriculture settlement. It wasn't that popular It was much smaller than Visalia, probably much smaller than any town around here in the Central Valley. It was located on the road to Samaria in the ancient Near East there, in ancient Israel. Joseph and Mary, the scripture tells us, they were a couple. They were betrothed. That means that they were seriously engaged. And Matthew begins the greatest story ever told in a very simple, and let's be honest, a little bit of a strange way, by giving the genealogy of the history of Jesus, his family, of the 14 generations before him, and then the 14 generations before that. Matthew gives this genealogy of those that came before Jesus in his family, not lying. What's Matthew trying to teach us there? That God was at work throughout history. That God was at work throughout the generations. And that God will continue to be at work in the generations to come. We see ordinary pieces here. Ordinary names. God using all of that for extraordinary purposes. What we can learn from these list of names, from these generations, these genealogies, is the fact that God has a plan. God has a plan in place. Even now, when it seems like everything could seem disconnected or unclear, God has a plan in place. Just like back then, He was using all of these pieces to bring together something greater. Something greater than anyone could have asked for or even imagined. And that's exactly who God continues to be today. God uses ordinary families, ordinary generations, ordinary people to bring about something extraordinary. To bring about the greatest gift That humanity has ever seen. 
the verse that we're going to focus in on today is verse 16, which tells us this. In this long genealogy of generations and generations, it tells us this final point, which leads to the main point, to Jesus. So in verse 16, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, we see this. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. I love how this passage here tells us about the generations before Jesus The genealogies and and Mary specifically, they exemplify what true discipleship is. What we see here in these names and as we reflect specifically on Mary being the woman that was chosen to be the mother of Jesus, we see that she exemplifies true discipleship. Because there's a difference between just truth as knowledge and truth as information. And then there's living truth, which is a deeper truth. And what we see here is that Mary specifically, along with all the names that are named in this genealogy, they abided in living truth. Mary believed and trusted God without fully understanding. And do you know what that is? Trusting God without fully understanding? That's called faith. And the closer we come to God, the closer we draw nearer to Him, the more faith we will need. Sometimes we think, well, when I have more information, then that means I'm going to have less faith. No, the closer we draw near to God, the more faith we will need as we continue on this journey with Him. Mary believed and trusted God without fully understanding that is faith. But you know, when I'm honest with myself, I can say that's actually pretty different than the way that I think sometimes and the way that maybe some of us as modern church people or modern faith people can think at times, even if we're truly honest with ourselves. Sometimes, and I've run into this in my own life and in talking to others as a pastor as well, I've come to find that we've kind of twisted it around a little bit, this whole definition of faith. And instead of faith being trusting God without fully understanding, we can convince ourselves that faith is something less than that. We can say that faith can often be self-described as, wait, first I need to fully understand, I need to be comfortable about it, and I need to be in control. Well, guess what? That's not faith. That's actually probably another word. That's the word fear. I need to be comfortable. I need to understand. And I need to be in control of the outcome. But faith invites us to more. Faith invites us to believe and trust God without fully understanding. To trust and believe that He holds us. And that is the best possible place that we can be. In His hands. So Mary had that posture. And so did these other names in the genealogy. God brought the Savior of the world through an ordinary woman. And I love this Christmas time to be able to emphasize this truth, this reality. Which is this. Women matter to God. 
we see in this genealogy something very beautiful, something very unique that we don't see in any genealogy before this. But not one, not two, not three, but at least four women are named as part of the direct genealogy of Jesus We see Tamar, we see Rahab, we see Ruth, we see Bathsheba referenced, and then Mary, who's the final name given before the the birth of our Savior. So mother, sister, daughter, remember, you matter to God. And He will use you in tremendous ways. In tremendous ways that aren't just dependent on other people or on how you feel about yourself or on those voices in your head or those external influences. But God will do a work in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Mary was called. So that means you, sister, you are called. You are called for greater purposes. And so when the voice comes in your head or the external negativity comes outside of you, remember those words. You can say, you can hold on to God's truth and you can say, I am called. God uses ordinary women for extraordinary purposes. And so I'm I'm very grateful. And I, I want you to hear this from me as your pastor who cares for you, who prays for you, and you, that God uses ordinary women for or, extraordinary purposes. And I'm so grateful for the incredible women that God has brought and continues to bring here at Imago Church. Mary was called, and women, I want you to be clear about this. You are called by God. He will use you in extraordinary ways. Because remember this, It's no mistake that the two greatest miracles in the history of the world, the miracle of the incarnation of God coming to us through this Christmas season in Jesus Christ, the miracle of the incarnation and the miracle of the resurrection, God in His infinite wisdom chose to reveal the two greatest miracles ever first to women. God revealed this good news to women. Why? Well, I believe it's because God wanted to spread the good news. God wanted the news to get around. To not just stay in one place. To not just stay stagnant or passive with just some guy. But God wanted to spread the good news. To give a couple of examples of this. I've come to realize in my own life... And in, uh, in, in working with all kinds of people, different age groups, men, women, I've come to realize, generally speaking, that men often assume. While women, on the other hand, often seek clarity. And then they share that to process that. Men often assume, women, of, men, women often seek clarity. And I'll be honest, and this is coming from a man, I've had a lot of palm-on-the-forehead moments in trying to plan activities and events with my fellow men. You know, it, it won't, it, it'll come sooner than later in planning an event with other men that the words will be shared over and over again. Well, I thought that I mentioned it to you. Or I assumed that you knew. 
No, we don't know until it is communicated. You know, I can think about once when this happened with a good friend of mine uh, years ago. It was when I was in grad school. His name was Terrence. And uh, he and I were going to get visas. This was when I lived in the East Coast. And we were going on this trip on this class called uh, uh, Teaching the Gospel in a Global Context. And we were going to Brazil together. So we decided that we would take the train over to the Brazilian embassy together over in uh, New York. And we met up in the train station. And as we were about to get on the train, he asked me, what do we need for the visa processing? And I mentioned, well, you know, the first thing you need is your passport. And I kid you not, he just flipped out on me in the train station there. And he just yelled at me in the top of his lungs in the middle of the train station, train station in frustration. He yelled and he said, well, Carlos, why didn't you tell me that I needed my passport to process my visa? To which my response was, well, why didn't you ask? <laughs> Terrence said, I didn't ask because I assumed. The man thing, right? I assumed. I assumed that since we were going together, that you would tell me what to bring. To which I responded, well, I assumed that you would ask if you didn't know what to bring. And I kid you not, we went back and forth in this blame game for like five minutes there in the train station. I assumed this. No, you assumed that. No. Many women, on the other hand, don't function this way. Women, and I think this is a gift from God, often prefer clarity over assumption. Especially when it comes to matters that are important to them. To life events, to relationships, to all of that. So yes, women, by all means, have the DTR, have the define the relationship conversation, have the deeper conversations. And men, they deserve to know, what's the plan? What's the end goal here? What are we doing? Women often seek clarity because that's important to them. I think about when I first met my wife's family and I realized the moment that I met the entire family, that there was no assumption about me. They were crystal clear on who I was. They knew all the details about me. They knew my middle name. <laughs> they knew all about me, about my family, what I studied, the church that I grew up in, etc. There was no assumption. It was all clarity. Because my wife wanted to share what she had experienced and, and process that with others as well. So I'm speaking generally, of course. But the truth is this. God prefers to work with clarity rather than assumption. So I believe that that's partly why, not the full reason, but partly why I believe that God chose to reveal the two greatest events in history, both the birth of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. He chose to reveal those two great miracles first to women. To work with clarity. Not just assumption. <laughs> to spread the word. To spread the good news. Matthew 1.16 tells us this. The, the verse that we're focusing on. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. Mary, along with all of the other names that were named in this genealogy, were real people. 
real people and real circumstances with real families and real stories and real experiences. So many of these people that are named in this genealogy, without this genealogy, they would have gone nameless in history. But guess what? They were not nameless to God. So even as we're going through what can feel like the daily grind, let's remember that some of that daily grind is also the daily grace of God. The daily graces of being able to place our trust in God, of obeying, of being faithful to God as He's been faithful to us. All those little things, the daily grind, the daily graces, all of that matters to God. Even when you feel like others don't see you, even when you feel like you may not even see yourself, remember God sees you. God sees you. You are not forgotten. Please know that this Christmas, you are not forgotten. God knows your name. In the same way that He knew all of these names we'd never heard of in this scripture, God knows your name. All of these names and persons named in the genealogy of Jesus were very different people, but they shared one common attitude. They shared a common mindset. The mindset that said, Lord, may your will be done, not mine. All of that matters. And the daily grind, the daily graces we can hold on to that same posture. Lord, may your will, not our will, be done. You know, the final point that this passage makes here is about the name. The name of Jesus and what exactly that means. It says that he is named Jesus. And when we say the name of Jesus, that's not just a name like, uh, you know, Charles or Chuck or whatever it may be. But the name of Jesus is actually a proclamation. Jesus actually means the Lord God saves. That's what the name of Jesus means. In uh, ancient uh, Aramaic and the Hebrew language, it means the Lord God saves. Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. That's what we see in this passage. The name Jesus Christ is so special because it is a title and a proclamation. The name of Jesus Christ is the proclamation and the preaching of the gospel. Because Jesus means the Lord God saves. Christ means the Messiah, the anointed one. So when we say the name of Jesus Christ, we're actually preaching and proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God. When we say the name of Jesus Christ, what we're actually saying is that the Lord God saves through the Messiah. You thought it was just a nice name, right? Jesus Christ. It's proclaiming the gospel. The Lord God saves through the Messiah. Matthew, here in this passage, is reporting something extraordinary. He's reporting about Jesus, the Savior of the world. And he's reminding us that this Savior of the world did not enter into the world in an ordinary way. Jesus didn't have a father in the ordinary way. And this was because Mary had been given special grace to be the mother of God's incarnate self. The child to be born will be the Messiah. That's what Christ means. It means 
Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, the king of the house of David. King David is even named in this genealogy as well. And how it ties it all together is that back in the Old Testament, God had promised David a descendant, a descendant who would rule over everything, not just Israel, but over the whole world. And that this coming king would be God's son. That's the fulfillment. That's the coming together that we see Matthew talking about here. We see this promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. And then in the Psalms, we see it once again. The birth of Jesus is about tying the whole story together. Connecting all the dots. The word of God and the promises of God all come together in the Christmas story. In the birth of Jesus. So remember... As we have the lights, as we have the candles, as we have the songs, as we have the the pictures of the manger and whatnot. Remember that all of that points to the faithfulness of God. All of that points to the reality that God has been at work throughout history to tie everything together. All of that points to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, the Son of the Most High, the Son of the one true God, the God of all nations, fully God and fully human, who came in order to save us. So we'll conclude with this. We went through that long list of names, but let's remember that this genealogy is the supreme example of what always happens When God is at work. When God is at work through His grace. When God is at work through ordinary people. God's power makes the impossible possible. That's what we see here. God at work throughout history. Throughout the the generations. An example over and over again of the impossible becoming possible. So to put it very simply for us. What is Christmas in one word? Christmas is a miracle. Christmas is God's miracle. It's how we witness God's witness. The gift of God showing up. The scripture announces this miracle and it announces it. It doesn't try to argue with us. It doesn't try to over explain it. It announces God's witness. It announces that God came to us. You know, there's this wonderful book called On Being a Servant of God. I've shared it with some of you before. But it gives one of my favorite definitions for a miracle. And that's what we're celebrating this Christmas. We're celebrating a miracle. And in this book, the author, Warren Wiersbe, he gives a definition of of miracle. And he says this. He says, if you can explain what's going on, then God didn't do it. How do you explain a miracle? You don't. You just receive the miracle and share the miracle and let God have all the glory. And that's what we're doing this Christmas together as a church family, as a community. We're receiving the miracle of Christmas. We're sharing the miracle of Christmas. And we're letting God have all the glory. So Christmas as we see outlined here in the generations, is not what people expected, but it's even better. 
And it's better because it's true. We believe in the Christmas miracle simply because it's true. It is the center point of all of history. It is the, the example and the proof that God has been at work throughout generations before, through now, and in the future. So we can really summarize this Christmas miracle with that phrase, as is said in the Gospel of Luke, that nothing will be impossible with God. Christmas is the miracle that reminds us that nothing is impossible with God. You know, the cross represents that God did something to change everything. But the birth of Jesus Christ, what we celebrate during Christmas, it represents and means that God became like us so that we could become like Him. So that we could become like Him, so that we could have life with God, and so we could live our lives as witnesses, just like then, let it be today. We can witness to God's witness. We can witness to the gift, to the miracle that God is with us here and now and forever. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you go beyond any expectation that we may have. The gift of your presence is greater than any gift that we could ask for or imagine. Thank you, Lord, for this precious gift of witness that you are with us, Lord. We pray that today as we continue to worship you in spirit and in truth with these songs of praise, with these prayers, Lord. Would you make your word continuously grow in and through us? through the power of this Christmas miracle. During this Advent and Christmas season, we celebrate that the Word became flesh, that You came down to us. And God, we pray that through the power of Your Holy Spirit, that the Word would continue to become flesh in us. Lord, thank You for the gift of Your presence. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us in this Christmas season to gift others with the gift of presence as well. To pointing to your presence, but also offering our presence with them, our witness with them, Lord. Lord, we know that we can't do this on our own. So we pray, Lord, that you would provide the grace, that you would provide the strength, that you would provide the ability. May we hold on to the Christmas miracle this whole season, Lord, believing and trusting that nothing, absolutely nothing, is impossible with God. We pray all this in the faithful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior.